jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! Okay. It's happening. It's... Oh, what's happening? It's what's all happening? It's all happening. It's the end of August! Oh my gosh. You're We've right. We finally made it. We made it. We have finally slugged through and nigh. Uh, Labor Day is at hand. <laughs> what? You? Who talks like that? Everyone. Everyone. Anytime I go to the Walmart, the greeter always says, Lo, ye have arrived. <laughs> Forsooth, the bananas are at aisle two. <laughs> we are rolling back prices. <laughs> I don't shop at Walmart. <laughs> Fuck if they, you know what? That reminds me. I was thinking of that part in Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> when. Oh, which is your lurkers, right? Yeah, it's my lurkers. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that part when he says, Fucketh thee. <laughs> Instead of fuck you. That's cute. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, see, Rumpelstiltskin. That, but that got me feeling like, oh, and then I remember the part where the remote controlled truck like went down the hill and it's supposed to be a real truck. <laughs> Should I watch Rumpelstiltskin? But I haven't yet. So Maybe, maybe I might have to, <laughs> I might have to sync some screenings with you and I might have Ew. to watch a Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> Fuck it, me. Fuck it, me. That's just, that's just, there's something, you know, that's the thing. People talk about the death of old values and like charm and, um. Mm, chivalry mm, Fuck it. Mm-hmm. what's more chivalrous while simultaneously having that kind of new york in your face attitude than fucketh thee right i, I will that. start saying it instead fuck you <laughs> just, <laughs> fucketh thee and then just watch the confusion dawn <laughs> yeah on all the faces and then you get in your remote controlled truck <laughs> and you drive away very slowly because we are weighing it down yeah (laughs) yeah (sighs) that's beautiful so a couple weeks back stacy we 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 came to this question uh that since some listeners have like kind of interacted with us with uh this question of when we were talking about horror tropes of our boyfriends are any boyfriends in films in any horror movies are any of them necessary yeah. Like, this is our Maureen Dowd moment. Are men necessary? It's our Da Vinci code. It's, <laughs> we are, we are turned on the blacklight in the Louvre. Esther yeah. broke into the Louvre. Esther, <laughs> Esther's painted over everything. She's, it's just Vera and Peter fucking all over the, the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I don't yes, know if that's yes. in the Louvre. <laughs> it should be. It should be in the Louvre. Um, but you know. So, so we've had some people that have written back and have said, you know, maybe these boyfriends do matter or are important. Um, no, hashtag not all boyfriends. Hashtag not all boyfriends. Let's let's be conscious of this. But I, I mean, mean, we do have a bias here at Gaylords of Darkness. I don't know if anyone's picked up on it yet. <laughs> we might have a satanic lesbian bias. <laughs> we might, you know, we 
might have our likes and our not likes. So. <laughs> but wait, we, we ask the pressing questions also. and Right. We uh, have open minds. And I'm very, very open-minded and, and, and willing and just ready to take these answers of, you know, what boyfriend actually has matter? Because Midsummer taught us the only use for a boyfriend is to burn him up in a bear suit. <laughs> right. So uh, that said, and it's so many, like Halloween H4O, we just see a, a shitty boyfriend just like being an ass to his girlfriend or being ugly. Like he doesn't deserve her. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so. so some and this is on the writers to make these men uh, better characters. Yeah, yeah. Or go or to the, do away with them altogether. Peter Sarsgaard in an orphan and just stab him to death and get him out of our face. <laughs> Stuff him in a bear suit. That's why it was, yes, we were so exhilarated to see a shitty extraneous dude actually get the fate of a shitty extraneous dude. Mm-hmm. Rather than, for some reason, being suspended through the storyline or Sean beaning up the whole Silent Hill place. Ugh. Even though he had no reason to be there. Oh, Lord knows we can't finish a movie without knowing that a man is still looking for his wife. <laughs> it was such dramatic tension. Oh my god, that tension. Will this straight man be okay? <laughs> you know, I read that Christoph, Christoph Gans, who directed that, uh, didn't want that. That was literally, I mean, we've speculated, but that was like basically studio mandated. Yeah, yeah. That whole plot. Yeah, originally it was just an entirely women-centric story with only women in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, except for like the cultist dudes that get smashed in the face with hammers and things. Right. Or and pyramid head. Pyramid heading. Oh, yeah, pyramid head was cool. <laughs> yeah. He was sexy. They made pyramid head all buff. Yeah, he was, he was, and you know, he could have been, he could have been, he could have been a big old butch under that pyramid head, maybe. That's true. We don't know. We don't know. Don't you, (laughs) don't you gender pyramid head? (laughs) Don't assume. Don't assume anybody. (laughs) Until he rips off your skin. Right. So, uh, some people got back to us. Um, Bill said Peter in Black Christmas could be actually a necessary boyfriend. Um. I would argue that Peter is still a shit. <laughs> oh, he's a big shit. But that is his role. So it, he's necessary, right. yes, in the sense that he's a shit. I mean, he's necessary for the plot. Yeah, 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 yeah. And keeps it moving. But, like, he still sucks. <laughs> like, Oh, for sure. I'm searching for a boyfriend that, like, legitimately just deserves to be there. Mm. Which I'm still waiting to find. Um, Drew says maybe Ash in the Evil Dead films. Um, Ash is the main character, so I would, I, 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 Drew also was like, well, he's kind of the focus, so maybe this doesn't apply, but, so I, I would say, okay, sure, but Drew also mentions Doug from The Hills Have Eyes. He is a husband, though, mm. and ultimately loses his wife and, and is searching after his baby. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that Doug really applies either, um, but thank you, Drew and Bill, for chiming in. Also, Canadian Olivia, our good friend Canadian Olivia said the butterscotch boyfriend from when animals dream is the only one haven't seen it i haven't seen it so canadian olivia i have no idea what a boy butterscotch boyfriend is but i I don't know what that means i am intrigued and i already feel a little sticky ew what okay okay all right michael myers 
It's butterscotch. It gets sticky, <laughs> Stacy. Not everything has to be a disgusting innuendo, you pervert. Do you eat it with your body parts or with your mouth? Where else do you put it? Well, you're, I In don't know where you put it. I put, oh. <laughs> Everyone knows that's where butterscotch goes, you pervert. <laughs> I see. Were there's my, original. My mistake. <laughs> so, um... Uh, Canadian Olivia, thank you for that answer. Uh, I I will watch that movie one day. I I guess when animals dream, I keep forgetting. Have... It's been on my queue forever. I just haven't. Like, That's a newer, yeah, one right. It's like 2015 or something. Isn't the like that. the cover like a woman's face and she's looking back or something? She has like a bloody mouth. Yeah, yeah. She's a werewolf or some shit. Oh know. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, one yeah. day, one day I'll check that out and we'll see if this boyfriend holds up. Um, yeah. So this just tells me. The necessary boyfriend is a lie. Does not exist. However, Jason comes stumbling up to me in the middle of the day, and he goes, I got an answer for you. And I said, oh. I said, what? And he says, <laughs> Justin Long in Drag Me to Hell. I thought about this, and I was like, you know, he supports her. He believes in her every step of the way. He's traumatized by her death. He yeah. doesn't. He doesn't let his parents dominate his relationship with her, even though he's very affected by his parents and their outlook on her. Yeah. Sounds like Justin Long. Who knew? Who knew? Justin Long and Drag Me to Hell so far is the only reigning champion in the the Necessary Boyfriend saga. But you know what I think, Stacy. Hmm. And I, I did mention a, a, several episodes back that we did, I, I had a screening a, a way back in August um, of Drag Me to Hell. But when I was watching it this time, I was like, the only way I really think this movie could be better is if Justin Long is holding onto the button and he was the one that got taken to hell. Yeah. I just would love that version of the movie. I love I love it exactly as it happens, but I think because he's so sweet to her and because she really does genuinely love him, the only way that movie could get darker is if... Yeah. That, that reveal of the coin slash the button being switched ended up sending him to hell in front of her. That would be yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So, a girl like can dream. Movie. You know that was supposed to be Ellen Page originally was cast in that. What? Mm-hmm. Really? I don't know why she didn't end up doing it, if it was a schedule thing or she just didn't like it or what, but yeah, that was supposed to be Ellen Page. I like can barely imagine that i know well for some of us it's always been strange to see her in heterosexual roles because yes listen honestly people who are 100 percent straight you might not understand you might have been shocked when she came out finally <laughs> <laughs> you might have had no clue you might have had no clue but or maybe she just transcended even that and her gayness was apparent to everybody from the beginning but it's probably more likely. Yeah. So it would have been a little awkward, I think, with her and yeah. Justin Long. Yeah, she's got some... I mean, one, they look the same. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and two, she's it got could, some... I mean, he could practically pass as, like, a light butch, right? Oh, I'm... It's canon. That's why I'm so attracted to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Hmm. What could have been? What could have been? Wow. What a different world. Mm-hmm. In another world, Ellen Page watched Justin Long get sucked down into hell. Yes. They should do a sequel. I'm into that. They've been talking about they a sh- sequel. 
Really? Yeah, I've seen some articles going around. Well, at least people are asking Justin Long about it, and they've he was talking about the possibility of what would, what would it look like ten years later? What was what would her boyfriend uh, be going through, and how would the how would the story continue with him? I'd be into it. Yeah, I want to see Allison Loman come up from hell and like drag him down with her. <laughs> That's just how yeah. I imagine it. Allison Loman in anything. She just kind of vanished, right? She's fantastic. She also, like, uh, in Big Fish, when she played young Jessica Lange, it was uncanny. Mm-hmm. Like, it was terrifying how much she channeled Jessica Lange. She's great. Yeah, she was terrific. I haven't yeah. seen her in, probably since Drag Me to Hell. Where'd she go? Allison, come back. Come back, Allison Loman. We need an Allison alert. Right. Oh. Oh. Well. Well, anyway. On that note. On that note, um, maybe he has red hair. No, he would be blonde. Butterscotch would be a blonde boyfriend. I don't know. We'll we'll find out when we watch the movie. Now we have to watch it. I have to know. Yeah. Does he enjoy eating butterscotches? Is his name Werther? Does he have internet fingers? Oh, maybe maybe he has internet fingers. Maybe he's blonde. I don't know. Why are we speculating? Anyway, we have an actual movie to talk about. Oh, that right. Seen. <laughs> what, what is that movie? Uh, that I didn't movie. Get the memo. My friend is a little 1971 film called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Mm. Uh huh. Mm now you had never seen it before this this august has unintentionally been an, wow, an entire wee. month of movies i'd never seen the only one i'd seen this month was um oh way back at the beginning the horrible michaelmyers.com <laughs> that was the, yeah yeah that was the only one of the all, all the movies wow this month. lucky you i know i'm just you i just feel like i'm just i'm just being uplifted and educated yeah wow we yeah and let's right. go jessica to death whoo Right? This is some primo entertainment right here. Fuck yeah, it is. How did I go so long without seeing it? It's not easy to see. Well, and you said a lot of people don't like this movie. That is true. I think a lot of... I think... I mean, not to say that everybody who likes things that I like is cool, but I think the, the horror fans who like a wider variety of types of horror films like it. I think the problem is it has been called by a couple of critics, like, so scary, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think your average maybe dude bro horror fan gives it a try. I think it's going to be really scary. And they're like, what the fuck? This movie's terrible. Oh, yeah. Didn't Stephen King, like, say this is, like, one of the scariest movies I've ever seen or something? Yeah. It's just, like, all those horror dudes, like William Friedkin or Stephen King, they're like, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen because it depicts a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they always ruin everybody's expectations of the movie because of it. Exactly. So I think that's the case. And I also think when it was released, it didn't get a great critical reception. Yeah, I was reading about that. Um... So, but it's been kind of hard to find. It was released on VHS in, I think, the 80s. Um, and that's how I saw it. That's how I watched it again for this show. It did get a DVD release in the mid-2000s, but then it, like, went out of print or something. It's kind of hard to find. It's just not a common movie. Although I think it was on Shudder last month. Yeah, Jessica, or Jessica, Jason said just recently that it was on Shudder, but then we, I had to go end up uh, renting it. Yeah, but it's it's gone now. But it is getting in uh, January 2020. 
if we are all still alive, mm-hmm. it's going to get a Blu-ray release Start from, the Scream, f- from Scream Factory. Oh, that's fantastic. That's the whole yeah. time we were watching this. We're like, why is there not a Blu-ray of this? Yeah, that's like, what I've been saying forever. And it's finally going to get one. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, you can wait for that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, this movie. Oh, my God. This is almost. Wait, that's not how math works. Is this almost 50 years old? Yeah. Yeah. That is insane. Which is fucking insane. That is right? insane. <laughs> yeah. How, it doesn't feel like it. How is that possible? That's not right. No. So, yeah, just, I don't think it's been widely seen. It's never been a movie that's like, I don't know. It just isn't included on a lot of lists and things, you know? It's just kind of overlooked, I think. I can, I think I can, I can kind of imagine why, but I also think that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, I think, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it reminds me of Messiah of Evil. Yes, absolutely. In in a lot of ways. And just even in the public reception of it and how it's overlooked by horror fans. I think it, never mind like plot, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And tone and vibe and all of that. Yeah. 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 So. I don't know. We, uh, yeah, I love this movie, though. Yeah. I really do. So what, how do we uh, set up this film? Let's scare Jessica to death. That title makes it sound like... It doesn't work. Well, originally it was just going to be called Jessica. Yeah, and they didn't think it was marketable. They didn't think it was marketable because Carrie hadn't come out yet and, like, taken the world by storm, right? <laughs> so Jessica wasn't going to be the first to do it. But um, Let's Scare Jessica to Death really sounds like a Grand Dame Guignol film. Yeah. It, or It's, it, you know, whoever slew Auntie Rue. Oh, yes, whatever, yes. Whatever happened to Baby Jane. Or uh, it just, or it sounds like a Dominique is dead. It's going to be a Dominique is dead kind of thing where it's like, let's scare her to death and get her inheritance. I Yeah, I always thought it was going to be one of those. Like, I always just thought it was... Um, God, who's that author that did like um, I know what you did last summer, and oh Lois, uh... yeah, some Lois uh, and killing Mrs. Mr. Griffin, and um, I always thought it was like based on one of her books, but I always just assumed it was a group of friends trying to terrify their friend Jessica. Right, like I that's totally the vibe I got just from me being a dum dum inferring all that based on one title. <laughs> I think it's I think the title is really gives that impression and, i don't think that's you being a dum-dum i think that's the title but it has that i mean but the title's a dum-dum it i mean it's a great well, title yeah. but it has nothing to do with this movie i mean no. kind, arguably maybe but it does it just doesn't work it should just be called jessica yeah yeah so mm-hmm. i don't know tell him what it's about man wow so traveling all the way back to 1971 um, Jessica, as portrayed by Zora Lampert, who is fantastic in this movie, uh, Jessica is hanging out with her. They get called hippies, <laughs> but nothing reads as hippies for me with these people, except uh, maybe they wear some interesting polyester and drive a hearse. Uh, <laughs> but Jessica clearly has a backstory. Something, something has happened to Jessica in her past. Um, she is coming from some sort of traumatic event involving uh, her mental health. And Jessica and her husband Duncan and her friend Woody, who is the hippie dude, uh, all get in their hearse and they drive off to a new town, a new small town, 
um, in like kind of upstate or some area of New York, away from New York City, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they purchase an old dilapidated house, the old former home of the Bishop family, who have been dead for years and years and years and years and years. And uh, they're going to start a new life there as uh, apple farmers in this beautiful old home. Um, Jessica and her friends get to the house. They start settling in. They notice things are a little weird in the town. The town is kind of composed of roving gangs of angry old men (laughs) 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 who just kind of (laughs) hover near people and uh, are vaguely mean to them. Um, And then when they get to the house, they meet this cool, nice hippie chick named Emily. And Emily was just a squatter who was hanging out in the house for a while because she thought it was abandoned. Ultimately, they form a bond with Emily. Um, They sort of become kind of two couples. There's Jessica and her husband, Duncan, and then Emily and Woody kind of start hanging out. Um, They're, you know, they have nice pastoral moments of sitting around the house playing guitar and singing or going out to swim in the cove. At least until Jessica is in the cove swimming and she sees something white with red hair and it grabs her. Um, Jessica begins to sort of have this mental break uh, and it seems that her trauma and her whatever sort of mental illness or things that she's fighting and have fought in the past are coming back. And Duncan immediately begins to question Jessica and her sanity as Jessica's whole world unravels ultimately the question that comes up she finds an old portrait a framed old portrait in the house as they're going through antiques that they can sell to kind of make back some money since they spent all their money on the home and jessica finds this portrait that features uh the daughter of the bishop family abigail who looks just like emily all the way down to the eyes uh jessica becomes convinced that emily is some sort of vampire and then everything just spirals out of control from there in a in a saga of what is real, what is imagined, and is this all in Jessica's head or is this all really happening? Bum bum bum. Do do do. Yeah. Dun dun dun. <laughs> well done. I am still. I'm still affected by this movie because, I mean, the movie does not give you any answers. I mean, it does, no. but it also could be read in two very different ways. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And it ends very abruptly. Yeah. Yeah. With nothing, nothing is resolved. Uh, yeah. It's very Messiah of Evil, right? From the mm-hmm. beginning uh shot of the the heroine and with some voiceover and she's like am i crazy or am i not crazy and then that's kind of where it ends i still can't believe it all happened did it happen (laughs) yeah it's like the messiah of evil is what seven 1973 yes Um, and if they hadn't seen this film i would be very surprised and similar i mean a small town um body of water uh fucking weirdo townies Weirdo townies. Yeah, I love the weirdo townies in Jessica. That It's like all the town bullies are a bunch of old dudes. It's actually shockingly true to today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they're the ones that, like, when you go in the store, you come out and they're hanging around your car. Yeah. Like, threatening, like threatening you but not doing anything. In any other movie, they'd be, like, the greasers or, like, the, yeah. the shitty <laughs> the- teens. 
Yeah. Like the, it's like it's like if the kids in Eden Lake were just old guys, like old hicks yeah. in overalls. <laughs> I love it so much. And they're just they're mad because their Elks Lodge closed. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So the whole movie is basically um, is is Jessica having another mental break, or is this really happening? She hears the voice of Emily in her head a lot. Um. Is this all just a big lesbian panic film? Uh, yes. Yeah. That also the, it is. That also it is. Um, so does it really have? Because it's not uh, when, when, before we watched it, you said, wait, it's a vampire movie? Well, I was Googling and uh, yeah. I was like, Googling. <laughs> I was a Googling. And as I was doing my Googles, uh, all these shitty posters, and this comes back to the marketing of this film. All these shitty posters show, I mean, great old art, but all these posters of, like, people with hissing vampire teeth and all that surrounding Jessica or, like, coffins. Um, and then there's also this this thing where the studio handed out plastic fangs as you went into the movie. <laughs> which nothing could be more inappropriate for this film. Yeah, this is not like a William Castle haunted house good time. There's no... <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I, like, well, I tried to tell you, like, put all your thoughts of a vampire movie out of your head. Because, first of all, it might not even be a vampire movie. Yeah. I think it is. I think it is. But it's, like, so. a very, a very different idea of what a vampire is, you know. There are no fangs. There's no hissing. There's no, none of that. There's no, yeah, there's no, uh. <laughs> boobs on balconies and stakes. <laughs> yeah, no boobs on balconies. Emily is out during the day. She goes in the water, you know. There's also, et cetera, et cetera. for the studio having these images of people with the fangs and pl- handing out the plastic fangs, there's no fangs. No. At all in this film. No. Nope. None of that. None of that. So it's, I think Emily is... A vampire, maybe, but also a ghost kind of thing. Like, it's all very mysterious. She kind of comes across as like a sullen, wandering this earth kind of ghoul to me. Yeah, yeah. If if she Absolutely. even is a ghoul. <laughs> if this isn't right. just in Jessica's mind. Right, yeah. So the movie really makes you question a lot. Just, just as much as Jessica is questioning herself. And as much as the two men are questioning her. Mm-hmm. And it helps that they never tell you what happened in Jessica's past. Yes. You know that she came from a... She had a moment of hospitalization. Yeah. You know that she says, oh, is it all starting again? And the husband right. se- seems to be thinking that. So you can infer that maybe there was some element of hallucination, audio or visual hallucination. Right. Uh, because that's what she seems to be having happen again this time right. but otherwise we know nothing except they left new york to settle in this nice new place um to help her recover after this right. event mm-hmm. yeah and so it's it's it also has that sort of she knows that both men are attracted to emily she's very and- aware she's very aware of it and then it's that whole plot line of like she gets pushed out Mm-hmm. Which which of the little circle like she's pushed out and that sort of amplifies her paranoia and her paranoia makes other people push her away even more and it all just feeds in on itself. We have Poor all Jessica. we've all had friends like Jessica. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
and yeah, yeah, it's real. It's she's a it's a very real characterization, and Zora Lampert, um, really. In, Zora Lampert is unbelievable in this movie. She I think. infuses so much humanity into a character that could just be seen, just be over the top, right? Um, and she makes her so you really connect with this with Jessica, and you really feel for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an incredible performance. I think it's a subtle performance. At times, it's when she's really reacting to something, of course. But I mean, the she has so many small moments that are so true. Mm-hmm. They're so true. Where she's reacting to anything, where she gets upset or a memory, like when they're doing the séance. Oh, so and, good. It's beautiful. You know, they perform a, a quick seance and, uh, you know. Yeah, because Emily is me and just is at the dinner table and just says, hey, let's have a seance, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, they, so they just hold hands. They just hold hands and it's like, is anybody, are there spirits in the house? Blah, blah, blah. And then Jessica, they prompt Jessica to do the communicating. And she just, it's just, she, her performance is just full of small moments that are just... Yeah. So warm and so real and just natural and really beautiful. I just I love her performance in that. I think and I think there's there's two moments I'm thinking of that really speak to that. Like the seance, like definitely that séance and her com- it's the least <laughs> the least um show many like uh, uh old school spiritualist style séance I've ever seen. Yeah. Where she actually wants to make contact and it's like out of a place of love. And she's, she, her reaction is really, she's really sad that this fantastic world doesn't exist where she can communicate with, not a ghost, but with someone that lived in her house before her. Right. Um, And it's really, she's really sad and it's bittersweet and beautiful how she kind of handles that disappointment of the sounds not working. Um, Mm -hmm. Another moment that really got me speaking to that group dynamic that you brought up. Uh, and and the the attraction that both of the men have for Emily and how that kind of makes Jessica Field push out is when they have this like it's I mean for you and me as like two individualist sort of people it's weird but they have this moment where all four of them are collectively bathing in the cove <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. and it's just like they're all rubbing soap on and I was like is this environmentally sustainable for that water I did yeah I was like are the fish okay <laughs> yeah. That's soap. Someone needs to test that water. <laughs> but yeah. but like as they're lathering themselves up and all laughing, and it's interesting because they switch, like they go with the opposite of how you think the couples would be divvied up in terms of who lathers up who. Like right. Duncan is rubbing Emily and vice versa, and then Woody, not Jessica's husband, is is taking care of Jessica. Um, but they're like having this nice sweet moment, and then. Jessica looks over and she sees Duncan looking at Emily and then Emily looks at Jessica and Jessica has the most brief glance and exchange with Emily and look and then she immediately looks kind of sad for a split second just turns with a big smile on her face says well I'm getting out of the water I'm done now Mm -hmm. and just like immediately suffocates all the pain and all the the Uh, anxiety that she has in that moment and just replaces it with a smile and it tells you everything you need to know about every single person in that group just in that one moment of her expression Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's 
I just think she's fucking magnificent in it. Yeah. Oh, honestly. she's great. She's fucking great. I love. They're all. I mean, they're all good. There's not really. I think they're all fantastic. Yeah. But she's just like another level. I mean, I think Duncan and Woody are fine. <laughs> they're fine. It's not like they have a lot to do. You know what I mean? But yeah, Emily and Jessica, I loved both of them. Um, yeah. Emily is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily has a tough role too. Yes. Because is she this free spirited, just like really sweet person who you really who you would want to invite to live in your house with you like they have a there's a moment where they have an option of having emily leave right and jessica is like oh let's ask her to stay and it's and -hmm. and emily is so excited to be asked to stay and you know you're either supposed to think this is a person that you want to have stay with you and who really lights up your who decorates your life we'll say <laughs> or is she actually this hundred-year-old ghost of, uh, of of a person who committed suicide and is seen roaming the countryside and might be building up uh, piles of bodies here and there? <laughs> yeah, I love the like urban legend aspect of oh. Abigail. The right? second they find that picture, you know something's up because it does look just like Emily. But then when they go to the antique shop and he looks at the frame and he hesitates and says, oh, this is the Bishop family. Yeah. And he like doesn't want to buy anything from their house. Oh, and I was just like, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just love it because we've all heard that tale of like, if you drive down this specific road at this time of night, you know, there's the bride in the middle of the street and she'll ask you for a ride and don't pull over. Like it, it just has that mm-hmm. kind of feel. To it, like, oh, the back cove behind the bishop place where Abigail drowned mm-hmm. in her wedding dress. Which you know, is and... such a glamorous way to go in the wedding it dress. It really is. It really is. If you're going to go, right? <laughs> You've got to do it in the wedding dress. Got to do it in the wedding dress. And, like, to the point where he doesn't want to buy anything from the bishop home. Because it's... It's so, it's just such like a subtle kind of thing too. It's not like they arrive in town and somebody's like the bishop place. Oh, blah, blah, oh, blah. You don't want to move in there. It's not that over the top kind of thing. It's like it's more grounded. Yeah, and ultimately, really. even though he expresses the slightest hesitation that maybe a horror fan might not even pick up, or not a non horror fan might not pick up on because they haven't seen that trope right um he still purchases the items like to help them out right because he like establishes Mm -hmm. a a relationship with these people the antique dealer does with uh, jessica and duncan and he wants to help them out Mm -hmm. he like he there's something really irresistible about jessica and he recognizes that Mm -hmm. um but at what cost at what cost Cause he goes, he goes off to go fishing and then Jessica is just hanging out. And then she sees this woman in white wandering around, beckoning at her. So she follows her and then she finds the antique dealer dead. Mm -hmm. And then things get weirder. And then things get weirder. Everybody's all the people in town, all the old bully men, they all have bandages in weird places maybe on their forearms maybe around their throats it's everybody's got bandages everywhere oh my god i love it we've (laughs) talked about a town with a secret and this is that Mm -hmm. 
Why are they all bandaged up? What is going on? And it doesn't help that Jessica, you know, she runs and she follows that woman. She finds the body of the antique dealer. Uh, She brings Duncan back to see it. And the body is gone. But then she sees the girl that led her to the body. And Duncan sees her and chases her down. And she's a mute. Right. So you know that clearly Jessica has some handle on reality. But right. was that body there? Classic unreliable narrator. Oof. Which I guess the director, I'm reading about this, the director wanted, I guess he hadn't seen an unreliable narrator on film before. And he had only seen that in literature. And he wanted to introduce that into film with this. Hmm. It's a little, I think people have that same reaction to The Haunting. Which the Eleanor Eleanor I was always... a basis for this character. <clears throat> yeah, I I take Eleanor at face value, honestly. Like I'm, I I have never doubted Eleanor. Yeah. at all. But I but people do. Uh, she people makes do. she's a hard character to like, and that makes it hard to believe her. You know, right? Yeah. So, um, but it's I think it's really well done in Jessica. Maybe a little bit like I it's. Plot wise, it's um, they don't resolve everything. There are plenty of unanswered questions, et cetera, et cetera. But for tone and atmosphere and all of that, like, I mean, if you just go with that flow, it's so fucking good. But if you're going to get caught up on questions not getting answered. And having to make up your own mind about things and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but that's dumb, right? <laughs> that's, that's dumb. Like, I don't know. I mean, can we honestly, I mean, I think that's kind of a shitty reason not to like this movie. Because that's why, I, yeah. that's something I really like about it. Yeah. Oh, same. For sure. Same. But I think that's a the common criticism of it. Yeah. But it's so. also so much more true to life and to like any, you know, if like having people in your life that have mental illness and not knowing how to feel about it, how to, what is real or what's not. This movie is very real in building that sense. Mm -hmm. Of wanting to help them, but only being able to help so much. And feeling helpless. And it's, it's, but it's also not like blamey. It's really sympathetic with Jessica. Yeah. And you just can't help, especially thanks to her performance, you just can't help but feel for this woman. <laughs> yeah. God, she's so good in this. She's really great. She's really, really good. Huh. I just don't want to see her... Uh... <laughs> I just don't want to see her bullied by old townies. <laughs> I love it so much. They are so weird. They're such they're little really shits. They're really weird. They're, sh- they're absolute shits. They are little shits. But they're all, like, 70 years old. Yeah, they're, like, 70-year-old angry little boys. Yeah. I love it. It's so weird. It's amazing. It's so weird. So, uh, let's talk about the um, Emily-Jessica relationship. Oh, take it away, Ponder. Well, it's interesting to me that while Emily kind of seduces both of the men, she talks to Jessica mentally yes like this movie Jess- is rife with voiceover yeah if you're not a fan of the voiceover 
It's not as uh, it's not as voiceover heavy as The Haunting, but it's definitely there. It, it's like if you and I were having a conversation while simultaneously, Stacy, Stacy, <laughs> yeah, Stacy, I'm gonna get out my and guitar. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's got that butterscotch again. <laughs> Stacy, I'm robbing the butterscotch. <laughs> oh, there it go. Oh, oh no, butterscotch is gone. I know where he put it. It's in my butt. I know, Stacy, it's I in know. my butt. <laughs> That's the entire movie. Yeah, pretty much. So, so you know, Emily will be looking pointedly at Jessica at times, trying to convey something. Or maybe Jessica just hears Emily's voice in her head like, I'm here, Jessica. I'm not going to leave. Oh. So, but meanwhile, she's seducing the two men. And so I'm just like, I'm fascinated by their relationship. Because at one point, when they go swimming. That's the turning point. When Jessica and Emily go swimming, that which is the turning point in the movie where Jessica is finally like, I'm out. And Jessica, up to that point, is beginning to suspect Abigail or Emily of being Abigail. She's like, right. but it's still a paranoia to her. And she's aware that it's a paranoia. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they go for a swim. And sure, maybe Emily kind of tries to drown her a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but keeps up. A- but yeah, casually keeps dunking her and holding her underwater, but also is apologizing in a way where she's like, maybe she just thought maybe she she's got just too playing caught up in the moment. Right, yeah. she's just playing. But before they get in the water, Emily suggests uh, rubbing some suntan lotion on Jessica, and is, I mean, she's seducing her. Yeah, it's full on <laughs> lesbian seduction yeah moment. there is no question about it and then even when she's in the water she goes in and to kiss her and then kisses her forehead right and you can totally read jessica jessica's simultaneous terror of um a vampire woman like about to kill her also completely reads as a terror of oh my god this woman's gonna make a move on me yeah, when she's rubbing the lotion on her, again, Zora Lampert is amazing at the small, like, true moments where she's like, okay, okay. Like, clearly just growing increasingly uncomfortable as Emily, like, first just rubs it on a little bit and then, oh, takes down the strap of Jessica's bathing suit to just rub, just to rub more on her shoulder. And you just see Jessica grow, like, wanting to be polite because women are told to be polite. <laughs> and just yep. growing increasingly uncomfortable with what's happening until she's finally like, okay, 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 we're done. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> and then Emily throws her in the water that she didn't want to go in. Like you do. Like you do. So it's also very much is, I mean, was Jessica her target the whole time? I mean, you, you can read into it, whatever you want to read into it. It's a very open movie that way, but. But with the voices constantly throughout that, I mean, it does read that there is a kind of, not grooming, but a targeting happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's some connection there. As far as we know, I mean, it is Jessica's film, you know, so we're getting her interiors. We're not, her monologues and that kind of her interior life. We don't get Uh that with the men. So we don't know, but we can assume that Emily is not communicating with the men this way. Yes. And and the dudes just are clueless in this whole movie. Right. Yeah. Like, they have no idea what's going on. Yeah. They're yeah. a little judgy of Jessica. <laughs> right. They're attracted to Emily. They're a little judgy of Jessica. Uh, yeah. 
And so it ends with um, Emily has killed Woody. She has killed Duncan. Oh, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. She kills Woody. Um, Jessica finds Woody's body. Yeah, on like his tractor thing. On his tractor thing. Um, they find the body of the mute girl is stuffed into Duncan's cello case or his bass case or whatever that thing is. Um, Jessica runs away, gets herself a rowboat, gets out onto the cove. Uh, someone reaches up from under the water and it's Duncan. Mm-hmm. But without realizing it, Jessica beats him to death with a like a fish hook thing. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like, so it stabs him a little too. Yeah. But was he already dead and turned? I don't know. Well, and a key point to getting there is when Jessica is in, uh, Jessica finds. Oh, yeah. She finds Woody first, right? And then she goes to bed. That's right. Um, And Duncan is there. Duncan comes in and he's trying to, like, reassure her. Oh, yeah, yeah. What am I thinking? I totally forgot that. No, it's fine. It's it's. I mean, this, there's so much happening. In this this movie. movie's like a dream. I can't keep it straight. Well, it's, it's. I mean, it's amazing that the movie has any sequence because it is so dreamlike. But um, yeah, Duncan gets into the bed with her, and then he's like kind of beginning to canoodle with her. But she noticed, and this is already when she's made a point of noticing and talking about all the bandages on people. Uh, she notices that he has a big slash on his neck. That's right. Just like the antique dealer had on his neck right because in this world in this town it's not vampire fangs that bite you it's emily's knife yeah and then they drink your blood Mm -hmm. so she she sees that on duncan she starts to freak out um and then emily comes in and emily cuts her on the neck and begins to drink her blood and then all the townies swarm in yeah <laughs> and they all show up with their old ass faces and they all are <laughs> wanting wanting to join in on their their new uh, hometown buffet here that they have at jessica's house yeah and then jessica flees <laughs> and then she flees to the rowboat gets in the water she thinks she's safe duncan comes up she kills duncan and then she looks on the shore, and there's Emily and all the old man townies. Just, just hanging out. <laughs> just hanging out, just watching her. And she ends with her, Is it, did it all really happen? I don't know. And, like, that's the end of the movie. Yeah, and full James Joyce Ulysses loop. Yeah, so we don't know what's going to happen to Jessica. Probably nothing good. I like how unresolved it is. I truly do. And, like, all the way down to... I mean, that that loop, it's sort of, the story is just going to keep cycling. Um, But also, like, she never really, she gets, like, maybe six feet from the shore of the other side. She's still in the boat. She doesn't get onto dry, safe land. Right. She's still contained in this world of of disbelief and what is real, and we're still right there with her. Like, although, personally, I do like to think this is a, a legit vampire story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The horror stan in me loves to think that this is uh, Abigail slash Emily is real. Um, Mm -hmm. All this did happen as Jessica saw it. And it is having come from a place of such trauma. She doesn't know how to begin to even digest this sheer unreality. Right. And she so she questions. So she questions herself. No, I said I think it's all real. Yeah. It's more fun that way. 
And it's also very, it's very Ira Levin. Like, I got mm. some solid Ira Le- Like, it's very Rosemary's Baby. It's very Stepford Wives where, like, this woman has so much, uh, she's so sure of her suspicions, but she also can't help but doubt them. Right. Because they're so outlandish. And then her worst fears, like, there's an absurdity to it where her worst fears become real despite the fact that she has completely reasoned them away as being a possibility. Mm-hmm. It's very in line with the, that kind of Levin trope. Yes. Yeah. And she's, so many times she, you know, pleads with the men to believe her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Duncan's, like, actually, I said he's kind of judgy. He's, like, really judgy. Yeah. Yeah, he immediately is, like, I can't take this anymore. Uh, You know, you need to go back to New York. You need to go back to your doctor. Like, he gives up up pretty quickly. The second she's, like, oh, I saw this guy dead. And he's, like, oh, well, she's not here. But she's, like, oh, but I also saw this girl right there. And he, they confront her. And it's, like, this mute that won't talk to them. Yeah. uh, Because she can't. But, like, won't talk to them. Then he immediately is like, oh, well, you need to, I think you need to go back to New York or you need to see your doctor. And he's just a fucking asshole. Well, <laughs> Emily's, he is attracted to Emily. That's true. So. I mean, yes, yeah. there's a hundred year old vampire woman looming over them. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That doesn't excuse his unsupportive behavior. Right. Exactly. Man, I am vampire so excited. I am so excited for the Blu-ray of this. Oh, I can't wait to see, like, a. I hope it's a really good, great restoration. Yeah, because um, I've only seen the V. I never saw the DVD. I have only seen the VHS. Yeah, the DVD looks pretty ancient. Like, even that was pretty muddy. Uh, yeah. So I think a restoration would be, with especially, like, that sound. Uh, yeah. Because the sound design is so crucial to this movie with those, the constant voices. Yeah. Well, there's one sequence where, I think it's when Jessica first finds the photograph on the wall and she's like in the attic or something oh she's like trying on clothes on top of clothes on top yeah. of clothes yeah and there's a moment where it's gonna if they clean up the picture it's gonna be fucking outstanding but there's a shadow did you notice the shadow in the room with her and it's moving and Wait, then ev- th- eventually duncan comes in i thought it i thought that was just duncan standing there and that oh was that not supposed to be duncan the whole time because I, I was like, why is he just standing there literally for like a minute before she looks and then he's like, oh, hello. I don't know. Maybe that it was. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I like that as a scary moment, you know, because yeah, she's, I just, there was... she's clueless and it's like quiet. Like un- before that, there's been music and then the music dies away and it's really quiet. And she's playing with the clothes in this trunk and trying stuff on. And there's just like a shadow in there with her moving. And then it cuts to, like, close up, and then it's Duncan. Yeah. So, yeah, that uh, would be weird. It's, yeah. a cre- it's just a really creepy sequence, I think. And perfectly goes in line with that tone of her seeing this picture and being confronted with this face of Abigail, right. of Emily. Yeah. yeah. Good movie, man. I loved it. Thank Yay. you for bringing it into my life. Yay! I do have one note. Yes. That's not a fucking mole. That's a mouse. It's not a mole. It's a mouse. Why do they call it a mole? I don't know. It was like they, in the script, they're like, oh, we found this mole on the ground. We shall call it a mole. But when they go to film it and they're like, oh, we couldn't find a mole. We found a mouse. 
but let's call it a mole. (laughs) Just call it a mouse. The whole time I'm like, it's a fucking mouse. And I had a Jessica moment where I was like, is this actually a mole? And I forgot what moles look like or are they mice? And then I had to Google it once more with my Google. And then I see what a mole looks like. And I'm like, this is a fucking mouse. Thank you very much. Yeah, they should have just changed it. I was upset about that. I agree with you there. But maybe that's supposed, maybe that's intentional and that's supposed to, if the mole isn't really a mole, then what is real? Oh my God, meta. I mean, maybe there is some symbolism there. I don't know. But it just, (laughs) I was like, come on, people. We've all seen a mole. Yeah. Yeah. At least on the internet. It's true. Which was huge in 1971. It was, I mean, Al Gore invented it like in the 60s, right? So. (laughs) Yeah, so I will I will be sure to mention this again when it gets closer to that Blu-ray, baby. Because I can't wait. But I just, it's a movie that I would love people to see. If you're into atmospheric, moody, well-acted stories about women. Which if you're not, you're probably listening to the wrong show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why are you listening to this? Why would you be listening That's to us? literally the only thing we talk about. Yeah, but if that trips your triggers, you know, something that's not action-packed, um, yeah, it's it's worth a look, for sure. Oh, that ending is so good. The ending is so good. Is it, it one of the scariest things I've ever seen? Absolutely not. No. Not at all. It's not really scary much at all. There's a few striking images. Abigail coming out of that cove. In her bridal gown. Mm-hmm. That's good shit. That's fucking good shit. It's real good. It's real good. It's real good. It, it achieves such a precise vibe. Um, it will have you going nuts trying to figure out what's going on as it gets closer and closer to the ending. Yeah. I mean, if you like Messiah of Evil or um, one that I I thought there was some weird like cross DNA with like uh, Dead and Buried. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. especially with all those old townies showing up over the bed at the end. Yep. Um, it's, it's just, just don't, don't, don't pay any attention to that title and just love the movie for this amazing performance and this beautiful depiction of what is real, what is not, and is it lesbian panic? Most likely. <laughs> Most likely. Isn't everything lesbian panic, right? And just, that, that works on so many levels. This, like... Is this woman having a nervous breakdown? Is there a vampire thing all happening? Is this also like queer horror and a commentary on like a woman completely refusing and, and losing her mind in the in the light of being confronted with lesbianism? Like right. it's all of it. It's all of the above. It's so it's so so multi-layered and I, I I yeah, that it's right up there with the sentinel in terms of lesbian panic. <laughs> uh-huh. Love a good lesbian panic. God, so good. Yeah. So check it out in January. Uh, what yay. a great... It would be such a fucking great double feature with Messiah of Evil. It would be, for real. Like, just I know I talk down. about that movie. Pretty soon we'll get the questions. Besides Messiah of Evil and Thelma <laughs> and Suspiria, <laughs> what movie would you recommend? Blah, blah, blah. Only those three. Look, I gotta preach. You know, every fucking Sunday they talk about God at church. Am I not allowed to do the same? Yeah, yeah. They've been talking about little JC for 800,000 years. Well, I guess Mm -hmm. 2,000. Yeah, exactly. Every week it's the same thing. Do this. Don't do that. God is great. 
Am I not allowed to say that? Three episodes and we get called out for Suspiria? No, go go to your priest and say, talk about something new, you putz. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, anyway, that is that. I agree. Yeah, thank you. Now that we've yelled at them, do we have a listener <laughs> question today, Stacey? <laughs> oh, besides Suspiria. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we do. It's from Jason. This is your Jason, I think, right? (gasps) My Jason? I think so. Wow! He answered my question, and now he has a question for us. Right. Jason's question is, what are some of your favorite one-role queens? This was so fucking hard. This is such a Jason question. Yeah. Because, I mean, his whole career, his whole art career is like one-role queens. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. It, uh. And this was kind of, we went with this one because Zora Lampert really, you said she's only really done like Exorcist 3 besides this? In horror, In horror. that's, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. done a few movies, like, but she, nothing that I know of that really gives her a time. Like, she's also done a lot of Broadway and stuff. But like, nothing that really gives her a place to shine like this? I don't think. Yes. If, if yeah. it's out there, please let me know, honestly. Um, that's fine. But I just, I watched something like this and I'm like, what, why are we talking about Meryl Streep all the time? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Why wasn't Zora Lampert given more roles? She's fucking great might, in Jessica. It might have something to do with 10,000 years of hating women. It could be. Maybe. Could be. But I don't know. Yeah, I just, I, I would like to see her in more things, I guess. So yeah, when she, I watched, sorry, I watched Exorcist 3 recently just for fun because we had talked about it or something and she popped up. I forgot she was in it and just a very small role, but. And she's uh, the detective. She's Kinderman's um, wife in that. I think, yeah. Right? Yeah. And she did have a big uh, career as the, what, Goya Beads spokeswoman. So she probably made enough money off of fucking Goya Beans and she's like, I don't have to do shit. So. Goya Beans? Was it Goya Beans? What the fuck are Goya Beans? Goya the brand. What oh. brand beans do you buy? I, I buy Kroger brand. <laughs> I buy the bottom a, of the shelf uh, beans. Oh, I'm a Goya girl. I don't have time for your artisan uh, classic oh, yeah, painter artisan. beans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Didn't she, she did the Goya beans? She did their commercials for a really long time, I oh, think. I had no idea. Yeah. So well, I'm good sure for she, her. I hope she's rolling in the dough from that. She made fucking bank on that, so... Because, I mean, after this performance, like, you're absolutely right. After this performance, she should be doing everything. She's amazing. Right. Like, you know. And and simultaneously, I think um, that that that's kind of how I was looking at this. My answers to this yes, question. Me because too. this is hard. It's like, there are some actresses that I, it's so hard to think of just one role. But, um. Right. That had a lesser presence or weren't as featured in horror uh, is kind of where I went with this. Right. Same, 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 same. Yeah. Yeah. So go for it if you want to. All right. I mean, uh, the obvious answer, Stacey Bonder, Esquire. The obvious answer. I know who you're going to say. Is the one and only Rabunka Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. From Hide and Go Shriek. That's true. 
Rebunka Jones, queen of my heart. I love her. Uh, she's credited as Bunka Jones, but we did have the mind-numbing revelation that her real, her true full name is Rebunka Jones. Amazing. <laughs> love her. Don't know if she, I don't think she actually was a one-roll queen, right? I don't think she was in anything else. I think that's true. And then, um, yeah, uh, others, others that I have, uh, light of my life, Karen Fields, aka Judy from Sleepaway Camp. Oh, yeah. Only other role she played was Judy in the sequel uh, spinoff film, Judy. Wow. <laughs> about Judy from Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. Um, and God forgive me, while I was thinking about Sleepaway Camp, I wrote down another name, but I did not do the research of figuring out her real name, because to me, she will always be Aunt Martha. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, when you talk about a Zora Lampert-level performance... <laughs> For sure. That for some reason did not lead to a greater career. That's true. <laughs> That's Aunt Martha right there. Um, I got three more. Okay. Uh, I mentioned one, uh, Christina Gaines from The Sentinel. Yes. Because uh, she, like, she did some more stuff, but, like, didn't, wasn't her experience, you said her experience with this director was, like, terrible? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and he was she, really like, shitty to her. Yeah, and she, like, just kind of never did a movie again. Yeah, man. Um, Christina Gaines, let me tell you. I need to call Fine One One and tell them to <laughs> send an ambulance to pick me up. That is a public service number. It's yeah. true. <laughs> she's a fucking babe. She's a fucking babe. And she sells Lesbian Panic very well. Yes, she do. Uh, even if it is not in the movie, we put it there. <laughs> I, I love Christina Gaines. I mean, man, oh, I just want to watch The Sentinel again. I know, I'm me too. To. That's what I'm feeling right now. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two more. I have uh, Judith O'Day from yeah, Living Dead. Fuck. Fucking Barbara, man. She did. So I looked into this. She did Night Living Dead in '68, um, and then she did another movie in '78. Uh, so, I mean, after, after being part of originating the entire genesis of zombie movies as we know them, of George Romero movies, she didn't do a movie for 10 years. Um, and then she started kind of getting cameos and doing roles in horror films in 2003 and has been pretty consistent since then. Huh. But that is a long fucking gap for an actress that legendary. Yeah. Um, she also like, and I, I know that like, I know she was really busy doing a lot of work on the stage because she is a hardened theater queen. And I mean, the woman has adopted a British accent because in her own words, she's just done so much Shakespeare that it just takes (laughs) 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 fucking died when she told me that at a convention. She's also the best to talk to. I, she was so sweet. She's so sweet. She's so real, and she's so joyful. Also, I cannot believe like how young she is. Um, yeah, because I'm 1968 was a long time ago. It really um, was. She's a she's a legend. Uh, and then one more, another queen who she did a couple films, and then she just kind of vanished and became a pot farmer and wrote a book about it called Grow Girl: <laughs> How My Life After the Blair Witch Project Went to Pot. Yes, she's on my list. Heather motherfucking Donahue. Yeah, bitch. Formative female filmmaker and movie star. That's right. The creator That's of right. the of the bitch behind the camera trope. 
really honestly she is you know i think those kids all three of them don't get enough credit for the making of that film this is um, listen we said this a couple episodes back they are co-authors of this film yeah they were given prompts they enacted the filming and the acting they improvised the entire shoot based on prompts that were given to them in letters every day on set which was them camping in the forest (laughs) god what a movie I mean, ultimately, the movie was edited by Dan Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, and, like, they came up with the idea and the mythology, but there's no, there, like, it's so shitty what happened to them. Yeah. Uh, And, and how, how they were written off, and how they had to pretend they were dead, and then they were also just kind of, like, Heather especially got it the worst. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And they really were, were so... That move, the Blair Witch Project absolutely would not happen or could not exist without them or their contributions to making it. So No. And so many found footage films try to replicate that sort of thing by giving actors, like, here's the camera, now improvise your dialogue. And it's like, it's not easy. Hey, Debbie, why do you suck? <laughs> oh, <laughs> shut up! <laughs> Don't point the camera at me. <laughs> yeah, stop it. Stop, stop feeling, it. Don't you? Are you gonna put that camera down? It's just like <laughs> it's it's not easy, and so I think none of the Blair Witch kids get the credit they deserve. No, and Heather Donahue. That's why I'm calling you a female filmmaker. That's right. So those are mine. Yeah, she was on my list. Good list, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It was, it was, it still took me forever. It was a really fucking hard question. Yeah, it really was. I, I'm, you named some that I'm surprised I didn't, it didn't occur to me. Like Judith O'Day. Ugh. Yeah. Love her. Love her. Or a bunk of Jones. Come or on. a bunk of Jones. Or a bunk of Jones, <laughs> obviously. Um, I would have to say, uh, the two leading ladies from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Marilyn yeah. Burns and Terry McMinn. Yes. Now, Marilyn, Marilyn Burns did have a brief sort of, you know, she was in a couple of movies after Texas Chainsaw. Terry McMinn kind of wasn't. She just dropped out and, like, lived a life and has, re, you know, had a resurgence and contact with the fans. And she's really into being Pam from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She's the one who ends up on the meat hook. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, both of them just give fucking great performances in that movie. I mean, Marilyn Burns is one of the most formative final girls out there. Yeah. Also kind of doesn't really get a lot of credit or get thought of in those terms. No, not at all. It's iconic. It's an iconic performance. And I got to interview her and she was so nice. I love that. I like I went to a convention and I just went up to her table and I was like, can I interview you for I interviewed her for Sirens of Cinema magazine. And she was like, sure, just come up to my hotel. She, like, she, I went up to her room with her while she was getting ready the next day. And like, oh my God, she was just so nice. Mm. And, then, and then we emailed for a while afterwards. She had an AOL email address. Oh my God, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was just, this, I mean, everybody who's ever met her is like, she was just the sweetest woman of all time. And so I do feel like fans really embraced her. Like, I think culture at large, it's like Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw, whatever. They don't fucking know who Marilyn Burns is. Yeah. But I think, like, horror fans who are going to go to conventions and things like that really embraced that whole cast. Yeah. Yeah. They're legendary. Who just went through fucking hell to make that masterpiece of a film. Ugh. And I mean, 
that hell 100% comes across in her voice and her face and her body. Mm-hmm. It is wild. That performance is wild. I mean, that movie's real. Like, I have a really hard time watching that movie. And it's because, I mean, she sells it so well. She sells, like... Like, nobody's I... ever going to forget that dinner sequence. No. No, she she's an interesting final girl because she is probably the one out of all that, and you know I love my Jenny Field, and you know I love my Chris Higgins. Mm-hmm. Sally Hardesty is a fucking survivor. Like, she survives on instinct. When she's just, like, lost her mind and screaming, and she throws herself out of a second-story window. Like, she throws herself out of the window twice, doesn't she, in that movie? Mm-hmm. Like, she is just running on fumes through the whole thing. And just manages to survive with, like, an animal instinct. I love her. And, like, the tragedy, too, of what is left once she survives. Right. Because, like you said, you know, she's gone. She's gone. <laughs> like, she's never coming back from that. No. And so it's, like, I don't know. It's, like, just a great performance. And being scared and screaming and losing your mind convincingly is not easy either. Mm-mm. And she just does such a great job. Especially, like, I just can't imagine, having, like, been involved in, I mean, just, like, low-budget, whatever, local stuff, but, like, film shoots, especially when you're, like, doing it the rough and tumble way. Yeah. That shit takes forever, and it's long and taxing and exhausting. And they were in Texas in the summer, cooped up in a fucking farmhouse. Oh. With meat on the table. Oh, God. Like, all of those actors suffered for that film. Yeah. They really did. And I guess she told me they had to do, like, reshoots or something at the end. And so, like, after she thought it was all done, she had to put on, like, the bloody clothes again to reshoot. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, like, get back into it. Yeah. That's a nightmare. That's a fucking nightmare. So, shout out to both of them for sure. Queens. Uh, Sleepaway Camp. Pamela Springsteen. I didn't even think of that aspect of Sleepaway Camp. (laughs) Yeah. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. Good answer. Pamela Springsteen. Then I had to, I went, I had Heather Donahue. um, And then even I thought about, I was like, what franchises? Like franchises are full of nameless teens who are only in that one movie. I know. I tried scouring and I did not make it through the Yeah. One who really stuck out to me, though, is Susan Jennifer Sullivan, who played Melissa in part seven, A New Beginning. I mean, um, whatever. New Blood? New Blood. Melissa. Melissa. The the blonde, like, preppy bitch. Oh, I fucking love her. Yeah. (laughs) She's so good at it. She's so good. She has the party and she's like a total monster. Mm Mm-hmm. I just, like, she really stuck out. I love that character. Um, and she did that, and then she did Click, the calendar girl killer, the next year. And then I think she did, like, a TV show. And I think she died, actually. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah. But kind of anybody from the Friday the 13th films, right? Like Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like any of them, if you don't know who they are, for sure. Um, and then I went way back with two actresses who both kind of had the same career trajectory and both gave really fantastic performances in uh, 1940s horror films. And that is Gail Russell from The Uninvited, which is 1944. 
oh, I need to see that. Yeah, that one's really fantastic. Um, and Jean Brooks, who played Jacqueline in The Seventh Victim from 1943. Oh, uh, which we got to gonna... behind the scenes. Yeah, we're going to do an episode on The Seventh Victim, for sure. Because it's fucking tight. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. But both of these women kind of had the same trajectory, which was like, you know, studio darlings for a hot minute. You're going to be a big star. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. Dumped by the studios. God. Both died very early. Very, very early of, like, complications with alcohol. I did not know that. Um, I mean, I, I'm kind of unfamiliar with Uninvited, uh, besides the fact that I rented it once, and I was like, I'm going to watch this, and I never did. Um, but especially knowing what I know about The Seventh Victim and loving that movie and her performance and what happens to her, that's really sad. Yeah. That's fucked up. It's both of them are really, really tragic. And both of them, because I these movies are the only things I had seen them in. You know, it was the first time seeing them. And so, of course, I was like... As an actress sexual. I'm like, who are these women that I've never seen in anything else? And then both of them, when I Googled and read, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I guess Gail Russell, The Uninvited, that was the first. Like, she was really nervous about being an actress. And The Uninvited was, like, her first kind of starring role. And she started drinking to, like, steady her nerves. Hmm. And both of them just ended up dying of, like, cirrhosis. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Well, amazing, amazing queens. Yeah. If you have not seen, especially The Seventh Victim. I love The Uninvited also, obviously. And that also, we we could talk about that one on this show too, I think. Uh, But Seventh Victim, my God, what a movie. It's so badass. It's so good. It's also like, it fucks with your head. It's really depressing. But you're also like, that was wicked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And she, what was her name again? Jacqueline. Jacqueline. She In the movie, is, yeah, Jacqueline. Oh, but the actress is Jean Jean Brooks. Jean Brooks. She is, let me tell you, a fucking fashion vixen in that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, she has this long black hair, she has this fur coat, and that's the only look you ever need. <laughs> Lesbian Satanists, right? Oh, Last seventh victim. Let's talk about that soon. Oops, I love we gotta that talk movie. about that one soon. Yeah. And that was my list. That's a great list. So yeah. Good question. A tough question. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Let's hear it for the Wonderful Queens. Yeah, I'm sure there's a million that I'm just not thinking of. And somebody'll oh. be like, What about Susie from whatever movie? And I'll be like, Yep, yep, forgot her. Hey, listen, listeners, feel free so, Oh, do you see what I did there? listen listeners yeah Mm -hmm. feel free just like when i said are there necessary boyfriends and y'all got back to us let us know about your favorite one rule queens and we'll give them a shout out yeah i would love to hear some more so yeah we need to i think i mean especially in this genre that is really built on a lot of unrecognized women as so many (laughs) so many women in the entire film industry i mean it's a story of film uh we should be we should be talking about them so bring them up talk about them yeah, Facebook.com slash Gaylords of Darkness or Twitter.com. We're at Gaylords of D. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can send us an email, Gaylords at Gaylords of Darkness.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's it. That's it. You could also, you know, for a mere 38 cents, 
you could take out some sponsored content on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we give it away cheap. That's yeah, for we sure. Do. Yeah. Always have, always will. Yeah, that's what my my priest said. Hmm. Anyway, well, that's August, folks. Wow, we did it, Stacy. I'm so we proud did it. Of we us. got through. We got through. We made it. And now we're. Good oh my god. Stuff. I can't wait for our September. Oh my god. I September's going to rule my world. It's going to be juicy. We got some exciting things planned. Yeah, we do. And then coming up at end of September, we are looking at the Gaylords one year, people. Oh my god, baby's growing up. How is that even possible? Baby will kill us. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's a year old almost. How are we a year old? It's wild. I can't believe it. You know what I would like to know? Maybe I'll save it for our year. I don't know. I Mm. would like to know if anyone feels like sharing on our Facebook page or whatever. I would like to know how people found us. Oh, yeah. That's great. Like, you know, were we already cyber friends (laughs) and you decided to listen? Yeah, when you logged into American Love Online. When you logged on... (laughs) And I was like, D2 Diddles here. <laughs> Got me a new podcast. But like, are you, do you live in Portland, Oregon? And you're an Anthony fan, a Carla Rossi fan. Where you go to queer horror screenings out there. Mm-hmm. Have you Did been reading you... Final Girl for years and been a devotee? Exactly. I just would like to know. Especially you... because of, oh, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Did you check into a cabin somewhere and you put on a videotape? And Deborah Hill came popping out at you. (laughs) It's possible. Did you enroll in her master (laughs) class? And somehow you found our podcast through that. I don't know. Um, I but I'm I'm just curious. That's all. I like to know where people came from. Yeah. So if you feel like sharing, please do. Yeah, maybe you know, as you're gearing up for our, we're gearing up for our anniversary. Tell us your Gaylord story. Aww. Aww, we'll we'll put it in our killer scrapbook. Oh yes, yeah. <gasps> we won't kill you, or will we? Bum bum bum. <laughs> no, we won't, because then we won't have any listeners left. Oh fuck, you're right. Okay, that's pyramid schemes always work with. I set up five managers, and then they set up five managers. Not I kill five listeners. And then we're done. And then we have no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. Oh, well. Uh, well, goodbye. Wow. For a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh. Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, oh, oh my god! god. Oh, oh my god. god! Tune in next time for more game.